Shall we begin? Why not? Welcome to Frankie Sense and More. It's like she's got a whole lot of goodness for you with a little bit of sass. Frankie, did you just say... She sure did. Not to mention, along with... Whoops. Join us now as Frankie Picasso and her new co-host mix it up with authors, musicians, and interviews with world-changing people. Let's begin Okay, let's begin now, because it only makes sense. Well, hello there, and welcome to Frankie Sense and More, the variety show with, well, a whole lot more. (laughs) More positive, dynamic, fascinating, and inspiring guests. More joy, hope, and life-changing conversation. Hey, I'm a Gemini, and if you don't know what that means, well, like the guy in the intro said, I'm a whole lot of good and a little bit of... Yeah. Uh, Seriously, I love to debate and I love me some good conversation. But on the serious side, Frankie Sense packs a social punch. And each week I scour the world for interesting guests to challenge each of us, entertain us and inspire us to stay positive and do good things in the world. So come along with me to the good side because we need a whole lot more of that energy in the world. In the house today, you're going to meet my good friend, Arlika Ray Roberts. You may not know his name, but I do promise you this, you're not going to forget him after the show. Also joining us today is an incredible young man who has traveled the world. I see him like a white knight, reaching out to impoverished communities, making life better for everyone. Brad Brasseri is coming to us from Lima, Peru today, and he's working hard to make life better. And you're going to love this. Smash is in the house, and he's our Nigerian singing sensation, an R&B artist. And ladies, you're going to love his silky tone and his absolutely adorable dimples. He really is a cutie patootie. As a humanitarian and social activist, I feel compelled to bring that passion to everything I do. And this show's no different. Each week, in addition to meeting all of these incredible guests, you will notice an underlying theme as I align Frankie Sense and more with one of the 17 global goals included in the United Nations Global Goals Initiative. Now, these global goals were released just September 2015, and they are significant. Why? Well, incredibly, 193 world leaders unanimously agreed on them. I mean, that's a feat in itself. And they committed to achieving three extraordinary things in the next 15 years. They committed to ending extreme poverty. They committed to fighting inequality and justice and injustice. And they committed to fix climate change. The Global Goals for Sustainable Development will get all of these things done in all countries for all people. But if the goals are going to work, everyone needs to know about them. So I'm here to tell you, and now I want you to go out and tell everyone else about today's show. And we'll be looking at global goal number four today, quality education. In my book, Midlife Mojo, I speak about commitments because they're like taking a vow. The UN didn't say we're going to try to do this. They committed to it. And that's a promise. That's strong language. And that's how we know these things are going to get done. And I'm really excited about it. So go to www.globalgoals.org to learn more. I beg your forgiveness for my verbosity for just another minute or two, because I want to introduce you to my amazing co-host and equally amazing guest. Uh, But I do want to share a quick story with you. If you're lucky like me, and I'm sure there are many of you out there who are, you had a teacher who really made a difference in your life, someone who fueled your passion for knowledge, someone who made you want to achieve more than you thought you were capable of, someone who sparked your creativity so much that today you invented a way to give clean drinking water to people who desperately need it or something equally 
amazing. And maybe like me, you received a gift and had a teacher who gave you a deep love for learning. So I need to thank Mrs. Lottie. She was my grade eight English teacher because Miss Lottie challenged me. She made me crazy. Sometimes she made me feel like I wasn't good enough. She was the only class I didn't get an A in. But finally, after eight months of D's and C's in her class, C was the highest she ever gave out for at least seven months of the year. She, I finally got an A, a glorious A. And I was on top of the world. I really thought I was Pearl Buck. Okay, that's how old I am. Uh, because of Mrs. Lottie, though, I am a two-time best-selling author. Because of Mrs. Lottie, I know I can always dig deeper. I can learn anything I set my mind to. She showed me how to do my best and then do it better. And I already told you I'm a lifelong student. And even today, I still take classes. I take art classes. And right now, I'm studying Spanish using Rosetta Stone. And that is one of the best language teaching programs in the world. And if you haven't tried it, I highly recommend it. Okay, I'm winding up. I promise. Now, one of the axioms that I live by for the last 40 years is everyone has the right to know. We don't know what we don't know. Knowledge is power, and it gives us the ability to change and think in new and different ways. And the beginning of that power is language, written language, because when you can read, you can find knowledge everywhere. Today, 49% of the world's children do not have the opportunity to get a secondary education. That bothers me, and I know it irks the heck out of my co-host, Arlie Garay-Roberts. And you're going to meet him in just one sec. Arlie was formally educated in public administration, but let me tell you, honey, there's nothing formal about him. He is an artist by nature, a graphic designer by profession, and a staunch believer in children's education. His distinct resume in championing nonprofit organizations and programs. You know, he's always searching out creative ways to solve problems and foster new ideas. And I guess that's why we get on so well. And he's a native of the U.S., but now he makes his home in Coahuila, Mexico, and where he lives with his husband of six years. And for over 10 years, Arlie's focus has been on human rights issues, and he's been making a significant difference in communities and culture through film, social media, and community support systems. And that's why we love him. Arlie's currently art director, motion graphics designer, and social media coordinator for The World Is My Country, the amazing story of world citizen number one, Gary Davis. Woo! Okay, Arlie, welcome to the show. Wow, that was quite an introduction. Thank you. <laughs> you are so welcome. I, you know, I, I sound so wonderful. You are wonderful. You are Thanks. wonderful. I have a quote here, um, Arlie, by Malala. And for those of you who can't remember, you heard the name, you're not sure who she was. She was a young girl, Pakistani girl, who was shot in the face by the Taliban for speaking out um, about girls' rights to go to school. And I, I'm going to quote, and I'm going to get your opinion on this. She said, in some parts of the world, students are going to school every day. It's their normal life. But in other parts of the world, we're starving for education. It's like a precious gift. It's like a diamond. Now, I don't know about you, Arlie, but I see kids in North America complaining that they have to go to school. And here are, are kids around the world starving, thinking of it like a diamond. What does that mean to you? Absolutely. And, and, you know, here in Mexico, we see the same variable of children who are starving for education, starving for information, and really have, in some cases, no opportunity to, to pursue that. 
And, and I think that's one of the things that we as global citizens and people who care about humanitarian issues in the world can focus on is how do we make education available, especially to those people who want it? Yeah, I agree. Now, you said in Mexico, it's very um, disheartening for families because education costs money. And I know it costs money in many, many places around the world. A lot of money, like exorbitant amounts of money, really. Absolutely. And- I, I think when, when you say that it costs money, you know, in, in, the, in the U.S. especially, I was a child in the U.S., and, you know, we pay our taxes, we have our schools, and yes, there are costs that are involved in a parent sending their child to school. But in countries like Mexico, here, the parents have to pay for everything. The only thing that the government pays for are the facilities, the school, and mm-hmm. the teachers, the parents pay for everything else. I know I was talking to somebody in, um, I think it was Uganda or Rwanda, and they were looking for some money to help these kids go to school. And, you know, it was something like thousands of dollars to send them to a secondary school. And, and you know, it's not private school, it's public school. But, yeah, you have the uniforms and you have all this stuff. But I thought, who the heck can afford? I mean, we can't even afford to do that here, you know, in North America. Who, you know, in, in a country where you're struggling to make, you know, I don't even know how much the average, maybe, maybe it's $15,000 a year. Uh, maybe it's less, you know, how does anyone expect these children to be educated and for a country to, to grow and, and, you know, be on the world market? Like, I don't understand why the governments don't get involved more. Absolutely. And and even the government involvement as it is often is not enough because, you know, we, we see families here that have to choose one child over another. And, you know, I mean, it is kind of cliche to say this, but who knows who's going to be the next Einstein or the right. next Picasso? You know, you, you look at those variables and if you have to choose one child over another, you may very well not be selecting the child that is going to cure cancer. Without and it's darn sure not going to be the girl. Absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> and, and, oh, you're absolutely right. And, and this is another issue I have is, 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 is women's rights and feminine issues because, you know, we're, we're all human beings. You know, there is no distinction. It doesn't matter if you're male or female or if you live in Rwanda, if you live in Mexico or if you live in the United States. We're all human beings. And we all need to have those same human rights given to us. I agree. So let's talk a little bit about um, some of the reasons why education, you know, people are, well, education, you know, why is it so important? Well, I'll start off. Education is fundamental in escaping chronic poverty. Absolutely. Uh, you know, po- poverty is a, is a grave issue when, when you think about um, families who have to choose food or education, right. families who have to choose feeding one child over another. You know, and, and these are issues that in, in wealthy nations, we don't think about this because, you know, uh, uh, everything comes out of the refrigerator. Mm-hmm. In other nations, I mean, in, in especially when you talk about uh, Rwanda, uh, some of the more impoverished nations in Africa, these people literally have to go out and hunt for food. It's not in a refrigerator. It doesn't come to your table automatically. So when you look at the variable of choosing education or hunting for food, which mm-hmm. one are you going to choose? Well, exactly. So we're going to we, we have a bunch more to talk about on this topic of education and and, you know, things about jobs, things about 
barriers against race and religion because when you have knowledge and when you learn new things you know it enlightens one you get to choose a different belief a belief that you know maybe wasn't given to you by your family uh ones that you get to choose for yourself because you know about them Coming up, we are going to speak to a wonderful young man. He is from British Columbia, Canada, but he's now living in Lima, Peru, and he has traveled in 84 countries of the world. We're going to be right back with him. Stay tuned. Stay close because you are not going to miss meeting this extraordinary humanitarian who's helping people all over the world. His name is Brad Brasseur, and he's close, so stay tuned. Heck no. We're just getting warmed up. Frankie Sense and more will be right back after we pay the bills. Secret Cuisines and Sacred Rituals is a quest, a place, and a feast. Join host Vilasi Venkatachalam every week to explore myths, mystique, old medicine, and brilliant modern solutions through a dazzling kaleidoscope of cuisines, cultures, and cures. This is the place where tribes gather, strangers and familiars, to be memory keepers and makers of our evolving, enduring, evergreen, spoken legacy of wisdom and ingenuity. In Velasi's words, when we do old things in new ways and new things in old ways, we paint with an inspired palette, weave our own healing traditions, and become our own guru. Velasi is a troubadour of secret cuisines and sacred rituals. She collects stories of wisdom, ingenuity, and grit. She believes wellness and transformation happen when you stand at the threshold of delight and discovery. She displays her hidden penchant for drama when she leads the safari at the supper club. Her favorite pastime is to extol the marvels of cuisines, cultures, and cures. To her audience in workplaces, seminars, and salons, her mantra is, be your own guru. She is a biochemist, botanist, and alchemist who likes to churn delightful, useful things from a brew of art and science, ancient and evolving, old medicine and new cures. Join Velocity every Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, only here on the WooHoo Radio Network. It's merging word perfume comes from the Latin perfumum, which means through smoke. Eau de Clone comes from the name of a town in Germany where this type of perfume originated. The French say the only reason to wear perfume is to attract the opposite sex. Oh, and never ask a French woman what scent she wears, as they prefer to keep it hugger-mugger or secret. Perfumes are generally made from bits and bats of different materials that have unique scents. You know, if women are trying to attract men, why do we wear perfume that smells like flowers? I think we'd get more guys if we smelled like bacon. The best advice for applying perfume is just a dabble-do. What's a word for a trifling amount? Hitherex sans kitterax. It's I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my new app, Too Funny for Words. Thanks for staying close. I'm glad you're still with us. My special guest today is a young man, as I said, who hails from British Columbia, Canada. And he first attracted my attention when I saw his profile on Twitter. It stated, world traveler of 84 countries from British Columbia, works in international development, currently working in Peru with economist Hernando de Soto. 
And I thought to myself, wow, I need to meet this guy. I'm always looking for people who are working, you know, humanitarian efforts. So since then, I found out that Brad Brasser, he's our guest, has his master's in international political economy, uh, a degree that he got in the UK, in Belgium. Uh, his BA is from Thompson U in Kamloops, Canada, in geography and anthropology. He made the dean's list. He's been to Guatemala twice as a volunteer, you know, just to improve the lives of the poor. And he's been a project coordinator for several organizations, including the East-West Institute in Belgium, a community development coordinator for the YMCA in Ukraine, director of development for Hoop in Arequipa, Peru. And today he's a communication coordinator for the Institute of Liberty and Democracy, working for world-renowned economist Hernando de Soto in Lima, Peru. And did I mention um, that he's a terrific writer? He's published many articles. He has experience in international and community development, fundraising, proposal writing, education projects, teaching, coordinating teachers, policy research, reconciliation talks, humanitarian work, impoverished communities, and on and on. Uh, he speaks English, intermediate Spanish, beginner Russian, French, and he didn't even have the decency to be ugly. Uh, that's a joke. He looks like he could model for Ralph Lauren, and I'd say um, he's probably what every mother hopes her daughter will bring home. So welcome, Brad. Wow, thanks for that introduction. I'm not, yeah. I'm not sure if all, all of that's true, but uh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I, I, I'm just – what your description actually addresses the issue we've been talking about, and that's education. See how empowered you have become in your life through education. And that, that to me, is, is, is the best illustration of what we've been talking about. Absolutely. You're right, Arlie. Because education opened up all the doors for him to do whatever he wants. And, and self-educated, too, because, Brad, you travel to 84 countries on your own dime, right? Yeah, exactly. And I think some of the traveling, actually, I learned, I learned just as much as my um, other education, which I learned a ton as well. But uh, it's kind of a education in two different areas, traveling and, you know, formal education. And how old were you when you first went on your first trip? I was 16 years old when I first went to Guatemala. Um, the first time when I went on my first solo trip, I was 19 years old. Um, but I think as I, as I traveled and I, you know, I saw the world and I saw more countries and I, I realized that what I really wanted to do involved education that, I, you know, I couldn't achieve my career goals and, and work in international development with, um, you know, fully going through a undergrad degree and, and a, and a graduate degree at the same time. So I realized how important education was. And as I grow older, I think you realize more and more how, how vital education is to development of all, all people. So Arlie and I were talking about this all week. And we were talking about the cost of education and what a crime it is for many countries, excluding Europe, um, where your children actually leave university owing fifty, sixty, a hundred thousand dollars. In fact, Arlie, you told us that you know at fifty something, you're still paying off your university. <laughs> Thank you for saying fifty something. <laughs> uh, yes, you know, ironically, I. I went to university three different times. I chose three different majors and changed my career many times. So it was inevitable, but I'm still at this point at 57 years old, I'm still paying student loans. What about you, Brad? You know what? I was fortunate. I, I had pretty low university fees at Thompson Rivers University at the time. And uh, I was able to uh, work at, uh, live at home with my, my parents and, uh, you know, took lunch from home and I, and I worked full time at a sports store in Canada. And, uh, you know, I didn't really have a life 
uh, <laughs> seven days a week, but uh, in the end, it paid off. Um, well, you're certainly making up for not having a life now. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. Well, he's living in poor conditions. <laughs> well, you know, you? many of us do that, and and you know, and I I I would dare say that. With, uh, and, and let me just ask this question now. What makes a person like you, Brad, choose to do humanitarian philanthropy as opposed to any of the other career choices you could have obviously made? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, from a young, young age, you know, from 12 years old, I always wanted to travel the world. Um, for my 16th birthday, the uh, only thing I wanted was a globe. And as I started to travel, my first few trips were to Guatemala. And as I'm traveling, I realize how much I love traveling, but I also realize at the same time how much of the world doesn't have anything, um, how poor the people are. Um, and I realize that tra traveling is one thing. It's great you can travel being from a rich country, but if you really want to make a difference in the world, you've got to help the people in these countries. Um, and then from there, I just the passion kind of burned, burned higher, and uh, I decided I wanted to uh, chase a career in international development, and that uh, you know, the only way to do it was uh, to go through university and I think a lot of people that work in international development realize that the only way to make a career out of it is to start from the bottom, is to do internships, is to do volunteering, um, and then you can gain your experience, and then eventually, um, you know, get to where you want to be. But it's it's a long it's a long step, long process, international development. But I I can't. The short answer to that question is it's just it's it's always been programmed in my brain this sort of thinking. Uh, maybe it was the way I was, I was growing up. Um, but yeah. So were your parents, I, sorry, I just want to know, were your, did, did you get this from parents or grandparents? Are people in your family missionaries or do they work in, in humanitarian no, careers? I, no one in my family is, um, but I did, I did go to a Christian school from kindergarten to grade 12 or trips to Guatemala were mission trips and that was kind mm -hmm. of in pro programmed in me. Um, on that side, actually, my mom and my sister are teachers, so that's where the education side comes from. Also, my auntie's a teacher. So when it comes to education, that's definitely programmed how important it is. Right. Go ahead, Arlie. Um, I, I was just going to say that you, you had mentioned, you know, living in a, in a poor or impoverished situation where he's at. But one of the things that I realized, because I live in a very impoverished neighborhood as well, and that's all relative. Because in my neighborhood, I'm the wealthiest person here. Yet... By American standards, I would probably be living in abject poverty. So I think, so I think that's a relative thing when you, when you right. look at the people around you. And, and I think that helps you, you know, empathize with how people are living because you mentioned earlier, you know, what, what is the average income annually for a country like this? You know, I mean, many people here make an average of $10, $20 a week. Wow. So that's nowhere near $15,000 a year. Yeah, no. But yet they don't, they don't seem poor because they don't have any type of um, relationship to that abject wealth. Other than now in Internet and, and, and cellular communication, they see it, but they right. don't have a relation to it. Brad, you know, if, if you heard the beginning of the show, you heard that, you know, I'm aligning with the United Nations Global Goals and their 17 initiatives. What do you um, think about that project what do you you know in your opinion you've been around the world you you know what you know so what do you think what are their chances in the next 15 years yeah it's a good question i think if you look at the millennium goals in, in 2000 that they did um focused around education obviously the problem they realized they did was they focused too much on uh, quantity 
about getting mm -hmm. a high percentage of kids into school. Um, and, you know, it's easy to get kids into school, but are they actually learning anything? Are they getting any information? Are their teachers skilled enough to teach them? Um, and what you saw happen in, in Sub-Saharan Africa, there's statistics that showed about 10 million kids would leave school within a few months of going to school. So the Millennium Goals basically focus on primary education, and it didn't focus on the quality of education. And you see now with the new global goals that, that you mentioned that the UN, you know, launched in mm -hmm. September, that they're focusing a lot more on, on quality. And I think that's the right step. Um, they're, they're focusing on training teachers, getting teachers up to date, because what is the good of kids going to a classroom if their teacher's not trained or can't learn? And they're focusing more on partnerships and training the teachers in, in the countries. And, and the other thing that, that I, I have problems with, too, is obviously children are, are the most important, teaching the children and getting them up to date on education. But I feel sometimes we neglect the parents. Um, mm -hmm. And sometimes we have to have more programs for them, more vocational training, more skills that are adapted to them. Um, and I think that that's equally important. And I think the UN Global Goals are also addressing something like that as well. Um, so I think the, it's the right step. On that note, I, I would like to add just simply that, you know, training for those parents is key because it instills in them the need to educate their children. Many parents don't understand why their children need to go to school. And so what yeah. you said is very, is very important to that aspect as well. Yeah, you know, you're 100% right, because the parents didn't have the benefits of making, of making money from education, so they don't know what the benefits are. They see the benefits of their child maybe working with them, or they don't want to spend the money on the supplies that, as you related to earlier, Arlie, that's very expensive for kids to go to school. Um, yep. You know, there's a mother with Hoop Peru, it's an NGO that I did some work with you mentioned. I visited them about two weeks ago, and I met with a mother, and... Um, She's a mother that falls into the category as extremely poor for Peru. She's a single mother with four kids, and she understands the importance of education, which is great, which is rare for someone in her situation. The problem is she can't afford the supplies, the school supplies, the uniforms, the books to send her kids to school. Um, and so that's a big problem, too. Absolutely. And then you add to that other things like transportation and feeding them. You know, here um, at lunchtime, the mothers have a big march that they make to the schools. They take lunch to their children at the school because the school does not offer any. Yeah, you're right. That would be, that'd be a great incentive. The schools that offer lunch programs, so the, the parents at least have the incentive of their kids getting fed when they go to school. Um, no, you're exactly right on that as well. I, I did a um, I did an interview with the folks from Hoop, and if anyone is interested, you can go over to the Good Radio Network and listen to that that interview. Uh, it was it was great because um, Arequipa is like a shanty town, right, Brad? It's um, the you know the, they really are very poor there. Well, yeah, Arequipa is actually the second biggest city in Peru, but what's happening? Of of any big city in the world is all the people from the rural, from the mountains, are moving into the city and living in shanty towns on the outside. Um, and so there's a lot of poor people on the outside. The city in the center's got a lot of money in tourism, but all the poor people living on the outside in shanty towns, and it's becoming an increasing problem there, like any, you know, any urban city in the world. Um. Yeah. Well, we, um, you know, education, there's a real positive side to education, uh, but there's a negative side to education, and I want to talk about that when we come back for our break. Uh, I think we're going to go fairly soon, in about 30 seconds, but... I uh, want everyone who is listening to think of your own questions. You know, you can give us a call here if you want, um, and on Skype even at uh, GB Networks 111, <coughs> and our wonderful Karina can bring you in. So stay tuned, stay close, because we are coming back, and we're talking to Brad Brasseur and Arlie Garay-Roberts. Stick around. 
Heck no. We're just getting warmed up. Frankie Sense and more will be right back after we pay the bills. Shh. Listen, something is brewing. The beautiful business evolution is coming. The way we do business is about to change for the better forever. This is real business at its very best. On Beautiful Business Radio, you will learn what it means to truly prosper, how to nourish yourself and your business, how to earn what you deserve and make a difference in the world. The tide is rising. The change is here. Discover a new way to live, love, and partner with yourself and your business on Philippa Rollins Presents Beautiful Business Radio where you matter and your business thrives every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Central Standard Time, only here on the WooHoo Radio Network. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert Annette Hammond. Bicycling for fitness is hot right now, and people all over the world are pedaling for fun and fitness. Whether you're cycling indoors using a stationary bike or biking outdoors, there are some precautions that you need to be aware of. Injuries are common with cyclists, even though it's a non-impact activity. IDEA reports that some studies show that 50% to 70% of bicyclists report back and neck pain. People who ride with poor posture often experience hand numbness and knee pain. Proper positioning is vital. You don't want the seat too far forward, too low, or too high. The same is true with the handlebars. Position properly and cycle yourself to fitness. And always wear a helmet. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. Like us on Facebook at Fitness Minute with Annette Hammond. Yeah, I love that group. That's so cool. Thanks for staying around. Here we are. We're back with Brad and Arlie and, dare I say, Smashy's with us. He's in the house. But first, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about what I perceive as the downside of education. Um, I remember there was a, a, a large group of immigrants that came in into uh, Toronto, and they were from India and they spoke Urdu. And when my kids were young and they were going to school, we offered to teach the mothers um, how to, you know, English as a second language and how to read because the kids were going home with these little book bags to read their books every night. And this woman turned to me and says, oh, I'm not allowed to come. And I said, why aren't you allowed to come and learn? And she said, um, because my husband doesn't want me to know anything. And so it's this idea that, you know, education can keep a group down and it can keep them, you know, from progression. And, and especially, you know, for men versus women, that men will keep their women ignorant so that they can keep control. Have you found that, Brad? Yeah, I mean, you certainly notice that the the dominant figures making decisions in a lot of these places in, in the Perus and the Guatemalas are always the men, and, and the women don't have a lot of say in the meetings. I mean, we used to have a lot of parent meetings at Hoop, and, uh, you know, the, the fathers are always the dominant ones that are saying things. And a lot of times the mothers would come behind our backs and say, we weren't allowed to speak during this meeting because the guy told us before. And we definitely encounter a lot of problems with that. But, um, Arlie, have you, have you ever, you know... It- found somebody that actually said they're not allowed to learn? Um, no, we don't seem to have that problem here. But as you mentioned earlier, Malala, 
basically addressed that issue in her right. uh, statements and her and her person in that you know there are parts of the world where women are not allowed to be educated and and I think that's a that's a critical issue in a lot of countries I I agree I'm going to you know what I'm going to do I think we got to lighten our mood up we're going to listen to the song Destiny by our friend Smashy. And we're going to talk to him for a little bit. And then we're going to come back and we're going to address this issue, all of us together, about education around the world. It's a song by Nigerian sensation Smashy, a.k.a. Samson Akalusi. As I said, he hails from Nigeria. Um, His dream is to bring home a Grammy to Nigeria. And some of his influences include uh, Justin Timberlake. He says he's the Chris Brown uh, of Nigeria. Welcome, Smashy. Let's, let's thank you very much. <laughs> let's hear it from your own lips. <laughs> That's a great song. Good to be on the show. Thank you. You have a really thank beautiful tone and sound to your voice. <laughs> Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Everybody agrees, don't you guys? Absolutely. And what amazes me is that you don't have an accent when you sing. Yeah, it's a great song. I really <laughs> enjoyed it. How old were you thank when you, you started singing? I was 27 years old when 27? I started singing profession. Yeah, oh, professionally. professionally rather. Yeah, but and you're when almost I started, 30 right now, right? Yeah, I am 30. <laughs> yeah, okay. But but when I started singing, I started at the age of 13. But it wasn't professionally. No. no. Just yeah. <laughs> yeah, just for fun. And, yeah. and so who told you that you were good enough to start recording? Okay, um, there's an artist in my country, I call him Paul Aikidaro, known as Paul Play. Uh-huh. He lives in the U.S. So once upon a time, I sent him a, a song, a demo, and he was like, wow, this is good. You have to go to the studio and record this. That is why I decided to take it professionally. And he was like, you got to do this. 
we really need to hear you sing over and over again because you're good. That was when I decided to go into music <laughs> fully. Nice. Now you have a you have a business degree. You went to college. You have a degree in business administration. So you have a fallback yes. plan. But you don't want to yeah. use it. You don't <laughs> want to use that fallback well, plan. You want to be a musician. Yeah, I want to be a musician. Yeah. Is it expensive to record a CD in Nigeria? Not really. It all depends on the producer. Uh-huh. It all depends on the kind of producer you're using. There are some producers they charge um, a ridiculous amount of money. There are some they decide to record for you and later you pay up. But there are some they charge at an average price. So it's not that expensive. It depends on who you're working with. Like, can you give me an idea? Um, I'll tell you why. I'll tell like, you why. Because we were just in the studio this weekend recording. My husband was recording. And so we were looking at maybe, you know, $1,000 for the studio. And now you're in other musicians. And you, you're probably going to walk away with, you know, six to $10,000. So how about where you are? Okay. Um, you know, we the currency is different. Mm-hmm. Ours is Naira. Yours is dollar. So... Um, mm-hmm. Let's say from 10,000 Naira and above. Okay. Yeah. Some charges low as five. I didn't get you. So, Smeshi, how, how do you handle distribution and promotion for your work? Do, do you have an agent that does that, or do you do that on your own? Um, I have a manager who's also my PR, so he's in charge of that. He does online promo radio promotions too. So he handles everything. Mine is just to sing and give him the song and he will handle the promotion. Now your graphics and everything are really good. Like, you know, your look is good. Very professional. Thank you very much. Thanks a lot. You've got like these big giant dimples and I'm thinking that the girls just don't <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, they like it. They like it actually. They do. But I um I try to <laughs> I try to be a good guy cuz uh-huh. I'm in a relationship right now and you know ladies, you just have to treat them with care, um tender affection, so you don't want to cheat on them. Good so job. I know where to draw the line. <laughs> good for you. And do you have a yeah, social media following? Karina wants to know. Yeah, I do on um, Twitter. You're right. You okay? You want to know my handle, Twitter handle, right? Sure. Yes. Okay. Um, at I am Mister underscore Smashy. That's what Twitter. I am Mister underscore Smashy. I am underscore Smashy. Okay. No, I am Mister underscore Smashy. I am Mister underscore um, Smashy. Okay. Yeah, with a double M, not one M, a double M. Then for um, Instagram, it's underscore smashy. Okay, so everybody got to go look that up and and see, join okay. Smashy's following if you liked what you just heard. And we did like what we just heard. So how, what, you know, you have a goal. You're, you're educated. You have a goal. You want to bring a Grammy home to Nigeria. Yeah. How are you going to do that? Well, I'm going to keep doing what I do best. Because in Nigeria, there's a particular type of music they like, which has to do with um, most of these club songs. Right. But I discovered that 
if you want to make it big, you just have to carve your own niche. Mm-hmm. You don't have to move with the crowd. You have to stand out. So the type of music I do, most people don't do it in Nigeria. And I discovered that most songs that win Grammys, they are this kind of songs, mostly mm-hmm. meaningful songs, good lyrics. That is why I decided to go follow this trend, do, the, do things my own way, and I'm very sure it will take me to that <laughs> Grammy. So you, you wrote that song, Destiny? Yeah, I did. What instrument did, did you write it on? Um, I wrote it on um, an instrumental from a producer in the USA, Showdown. I bought the instrumental from him, actually. He created it. Okay, so you don't play, so, uh, you don't play piano or guitar or anything? You don't play an instrument? No, no, I don't. Your, your, your instrument's your voice? Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Good for you. So Thank you. let me ask you something, because you heard us talking about education, and I told you I was going to ask you about education. Um, yeah. I mentioned earlier that, you know, 49% of youth don't get secondary school education. And where you live in Nigeria, do you have to pay for secondary education? Secondary school? Yeah. Yeah. But not in all cases. There are some private secondary school and there are some handled by the government. But those handled by the government, they are free. We don't pay for anything. But those handled by um, individuals, the private secondary schools, you pay for it. And if you can you go to university or college if you've graduated from a free school? Will you have enough education yes. to do that? Yeah? Yes, yes, it's possible. Very, very possible. So if you guys you, have questions, feel free to ask. <clears throat> Smashy, when you say free, does that include uh, uniforms, books, uh, supplies, those types of things as well? Um, no, no, no. It doesn't involve books. But as for uniform, it's free. But books and the rest, you just have to get those yourself. Because there's, a, there's an extent the government are willing to help. But, you know, those other particular part aspects like books, um, pen and the rest, you just have to get them yourself. Yes, and, and those, those can be quite expensive for, for impoverished families, can't they? Yes, yes, it can be expensive. What would the average, right. do you know what the average income is where you live? Um, actually, I don't have an idea. I don't. Okay. Yeah. Okay. What's the Smashy. name of the town that you live in? Sorry, we're going we're gonna to go to break in, in just a few seconds. Smashy, tell us the name of your town where you live. Okay, I live in, I live in Lagos. In Lagos, okay. Lagos, Nigeria, yeah. That's a big town. Okay, um, we are going to come back with, with our Smashy, and we're still going to have Brad and Arlie here, and we're going to start talking again about some education around the world. Getting warmed up. Frankie Sense and more will be right back after we pay the bills. Congratulations on being the proud owner of an adorable, soft, cuddly, sweet-smelling, smiling, cooing, hungry, tired, gassy, screaming little bundle of joy. So now what? Where's the owner's manual for this thing? Where are my instructions? Right here. It's Baby and Toddler Instructions with Blythe Lippman on toginet.com. Infant care specialist Blythe Lippman has worked with babies for over 20 years and works extensively with new parents providing workshops, in-home visits, tips, and daily phone calls to ease those frazzled nerves. With Baby and Toddler Instructions, you can get the advice you need on how to survive and enjoy your baby's first year. For more information on Blythe and how she can help you, go to babyinstructions.com. 
From 32 ways to stop a baby from crying to 14 ways to get a baby to eat and so much more. It's Baby and Toddler Instructions with Blythe Lipman on toginet.com. Like me, when you've finished dining at a restaurant, you hate waiting and waiting for the check to arrive so you can pay and get on with your day. I admit my rocket, as my kids call it, starts going off, and my husband always wants one more cup of coffee, and I'm ready to go, wiki wiki, let's go. It's not that I'm tense, I'm just terribly alert. My husband always has a cup of coffee in his hand, so much so he is wearing out the handles of our coffee mugs. But then again, he's not as bad as the French writer Voltaire, who drank 70 cups of coffee a day. I can't drink coffee before going to bed because I get too wadgety. My husband, on the other hand, can drink several cups of joe and go right to sleep. And I'm not talking slum gullion. That's weak coffee. It's I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my new app, Too Funny for Words. Well, the gang's all here, and you are too, and I want to thank you for standing by. We had some interesting discussions offline here, but we're going to bring them online because I think that um, some important things were said. For instance... Arlie, you said, do people in your country or parents in your country or educators in your country, do they get upset um, when the quote-unquote Americans, Canadians, North Americans come in and say, hey, uh, we don't think you're doing such a great job and we're going to, we're here to fix it for you. And Brad, you said? Yeah, I think it's a great question. I mean, it's hard to go into someone's neighborhood and and tell them what to do and what they're doing wrong and try to implement education, uh, you know, things from your country that are working in your country that are completely not relevant to them. I think the important thing is obviously you've got to win the hearts and the mind of the people in the community. And a lot of times doing that is working at the top, uh, winning over the mayor or the highest administration people. Um, And also the most important thing is not to offend their culture, not to step in any cultural practices that they're doing and make sure that any programs you do with education are incorporating their cultural beliefs and, and just making sure everything you do is is very carefully. I, I, I think in, in inclusion is very important in that also. You have to include the parents and the community um, <clears throat> seniors and, and, and allow them to have their input and their say. And that, that leads back to your, your cultural um, uh, statement. Yeah, and also if you want a sustainable uh, program running, you need, you need um, you know, local people to be part of it and to be running it and to be helping you out on a lot of the stuff too. So that's important. Yeah, absolutely. One, yeah. one, of, one of the things we ran into here in a program that I did in Baja was the parents were very um, afraid of the Americans coming in. It took us three generations to educate. So now the younger parents understand the reason we're there and it's not to impose ourselves, but to offer assistance. It definitely takes a lot, a lot of time, and I, I, I can completely understand that three generations is a long time. But by just you know the time I've spent in the communities, you can see that's definitely a problem earning the trust of the people, and, and that takes earning the, gen, the the parents' trust, and then trickles down to the children, and then you can run you know sustainable programs from there. Absolutely. But doesn't that really come down to Arlie? Doesn't and, and Brad doesn't it really just come down that fear is not having understanding and knowledge, not having education. So being uneducated, you don't know what, you know, the wonderful things that are going to come out of it. 
Absolutely, and you know when you when you when you talk about that lack of understanding, part of that is because most of the senior generations never made it past the fifth grade. Mm-hmm. And you know when when you think of our standard of what the fifth grade is, you know drop that down by half because their education systems, especially in the past, were even lower. So you know the the education program, and you were talking about earlier, um, Brad, how important it is to educate the parents because they are they they ultimately are going to be the ones that sustain these programs once we leave. Yeah, it's a, you're 100% right. Yeah, that's that's the key right there is the parents. And I think, as I mentioned, the Millennium Goals before kind of missed out a lot of the educating the older people and focus more on the primary kids. But how the parents don't let their kids go to school, that doesn't help anything. The parents aren't educated. So, Brad, you've been to 84 countries. You you know, every country is different in culture and, you know, uh, education. But is there if the if the United Nations is going to you know, fulfill their goal of quality education and fulfill their goal of every child will attend secondary school, regardless of gender. Um, What do you see as the biggest hindrance or factor um, to make that happen? What's the biggest obstacle? Yeah, obviously that's a, that's a complicated question because as yeah, we've been discussing, there's so many different factors. But if I were to point to, you know, kind of the biggest obstacle Just the biggie, is, biggie high levels. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's the amount of money that governments are spending on their education sectors. And um, obviously developing countries don't have a lot of money and they can't spend a lot of money. But there's, some of them are spending more money on their military and sometimes they're in conflict. So I guess that's the situation. Mm-hmm. But the problem is there's a report a few years ago that reported that 2% of all humanitarian aid that was given from developed countries to developing countries went to education. So if we want to put more money into education in developing countries, the the countries like the U.S., like Canada, the European countries, need to put conditions on this humanitarian aid and make sure this money goes to education. Um, And I think that could be a big factor in putting more money in there, is putting conditions on the aid. You also mentioned to me that you thought um, it was better for people to support the smaller NGOs than like the Red Cross and the YMCA's of the world uh, because the money – does the money go farther? Well, a lot of these a lot of these big NGOs I find are just turning into corporations, institutions, and there's more bureaucracy and, and they're opening more offices in, develop, in developed countries and they're spending so much money on administration fees – and a lot of small NGOs are based in the developing countries, and they have such small fees, and a lot of the money you give to them goes directly into the field, into the program, to the people. Of course, they have their challenges and their restrictions as well, but if, if someone really wants to volunteer and make a difference, um, y- your skills are more useful to a, real, a small NGO in the field in the developing nation than in a huge Red Cross, and, you know, that has a lot of controversy of late, as we all know. Right. Yeah, I've got a lot of stories about them, <laughs> but I'm not yeah. – I'm going to stop myself <laughs> for a few minutes anyway. Smashy, have you ever left Nigeria? Have you ever been out of the country? Um, no, no. Have I you haven't. ever have you ever volunteered with an organization? Yeah, I have. Who, who I did have. you volunteer was, with? In what area? Um, okay, it's it's an it's a body called um, NAPTIP. It's um fights against prostitution, child abuse, and some nice. other things that affect the youths in the, yeah. the um, society. Yeah, I was even elected as a president then. Really? <laughs> wow. Did, did you know somebody, or did how did how did you come to choose that organization? Okay, uh, my friend used to belong to the organization, so he introduced me to it. Uh-huh. So I decided to give it a try, and I loved it. Yeah. I really enjoyed doing it. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. 
I think volunteer work is is absolutely amazing for everybody. You learn so much about yourself and about others when you do it. And Brad, you you did um, I, I think it was volunteer. I can't remember when when you did um work with the Roma children. I think you did a report on on gypsies. Yeah, that was uh, actually it was an anthropology course where it was kind of half doing humanitarian stuff and also half doing a study on them. Um, and that was, you know, that's a ethnic group that is faces a lot of problems in Europe and a lot of racism and a lot of people don't know about it. And uh, they have a lot of difficulties and a lot of racism. You know, a lot of them live in uh, countries that are in the European Union, such as Hungary and Slovakia mm-hmm. and Czech Republic, and they face such discrimination. And it's it's really intense and they have a tough time of getting themselves accepted by society and, and finding jobs. What's the fear? What's the fear that they have of them? Uh, well, you know, it's like there's there's one bad apple in every in every bunch of any sure. culture, and when, when something happens there, it, it, it's snowball effect, and then it just turns into, and that's just how it's always been. There is is there's one incident with one person isolated, and then all of a sudden, all the Roman are discriminated against because one person did something violent. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, when people are in poverty, they have they have, they have to do desperate things to to to, to feed right. their family. Um, right. And, you know, so they have to steal some, something, a bread or yeah, something. And, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And then it escalates from there. So. I see. Do you, do you, um, Smashy, do you find that you have come up against racism in your country? Um, not really, not really. It's, um, I would say racism is not a problem in Nigeria. It's just, it depends on individuals. There are some people that might just say, um, I don't like whites because whites treat us like this, treated us like this in the past. It's just individual stuff. Right. When you're talking about Nigeria as a whole, no. But yes. like, I, I, I want to, this, this is hard to say, but like the Romas, um, the Nigerians also have a world reputation of kind of being a scam artist. Have you heard of that? Uh, yeah, I have. I have. How does that make you feel? Um, <laughs> bad. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Makes me feel bad. Yeah. <laughs> well, but it's ridiculous. Um, okay. I, 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 I was going to say another form of racism is against poverty. Right. Um, and we don't, we don't think of that because we think of racism as the color of your skin or the country that you're from. But, but in many cases, intra-country, you find you know, racist ideas and, and attitudes toward people who are impoverished. Okay. But I was just wondering from, from you know, him being a citizen of a country, um, how does that make you feel? Not feel, but did you ever think about that people perceive your country as not being ethical? Um, well, did you ever think about that? Yeah, I have. I have. I have. Sorry, talking about this um, scam of a thing. Yeah. Uh, my country, my country, they are doing their best. The president, the government, they are trying their best to curb it. So anybody they catch or they get in the act, the person is sentenced to prison. Oh, wow. So they are trying their best to make sure they stop it. Nice. So it depends on individuals. You know, there, are, there are some people in Nigeria, they don't want to work. They don't want to go to school. They want fast money. Mm-hmm. So they end up going into internet <laughs> fraud. Right. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. So do you feel that a better educational system might alleviate some of those problems for wanting to gain fast dollars, wanting to, you know, but I think a lot of this comes out of, again, poverty because people have no other options. Yes, I think so. I think so. It would work. 
The one uh, statistic that a UNESCO report recently reported was that Nigeria has 8.3 million children out of school, which is the most of any country, wow. with oh. Pakistan being second well. at 7.3 million. So maybe my question to you, Smash, would be, why, why do you think there's so many children out of school? There? What, what are the factors that are you know, persuading them not to want to go to school? Okay, um, the first thing is um, poverty, like you said. Poverty is the first thing. And the second thing, it's um, like um, what I said earlier on, some children, they want fast cash. They don't want to go to school. And at the same time, there are some teachers in the schools who are not willing to do their job well. Like I can recollect my time when I was in school, there's this particular teacher. He's not willing to teach well. It's oh, okay. not being practical. He just comes and reads from textbooks and okay. goes out. So they get that bored. give us... Yeah, we'll get bored and we'll get out of going to school. <laughs> I'm going to have to stop yeah, you guys. Brad Brasseur, okay. any last words? We can talk about this for hours. There's so yeah, much we to We sure about. could. Yeah, of course. Uh, no, I appreciate having you on the show, and I would love to be invited back sometime if you have the same subject or any other subject. We would love to have you. Do you have a website, your own website? I don't. I've been asked that question maybe one day. I, I just use Twitter a lot right now, and one day okay. I will... Uh, all right. Arlie, thank you so much for being my wonderful co-host. You know I love you. Well, Smashy. and I love you too, and you were great. As you Aww, were. Yep. so are you. Smashy, we're going to play your song, My Girl, on the way out. So just relax, and thank you so much for joining us. And I hope that everybody who listened You're will welcome. go. Where can they get your song? Where can they go? Quick, quick. They can go to Spinlet. You get it. You search for Smashy on Spinlet. On Spinlet. You get both songs there. Yeah, Spinlet.com. Well, this is the Unstoppable Frankie Picasso. You have been listening to Frankie Sense and more. And I want to thank you for tuning in today and for coming back next week because we will be back. You all take care and have a wonderful day or night wherever you are in the world. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And this is My Girl by Smashy. Turn